Good morning. This is your warning that says I'm going to say good morning for real in about 30 seconds. All right, well, good morning. It's good to see everybody here. I know there's a lot of allergies and other stuff going on around here. A lot of, yep, thank you. <laughs> so thank you for everybody that's here. If you're feeling a little stuffed up, that's okay. We'll make a joyful noise unto the Lord here. That's right. If you're able to stand, please stand, and let's sing, Come into His Presence. to his presence with thanksgiving in your heart and give him praise and give him praise come to his presence with thanksgiving in your heart your voice is raised your voice is raised give glory and honor and power unto him jesus the name above all Presence with thanksgiving in your heart and give him praise and give him praise. Come into his presence with thanksgiving in your heart, your voice is raised, your voice is raised. Give glory and honor and power unto him, Jesus, the name above all names. Please be seated. Pastor Jasper, please come on up. Good morning, everyone. Happy, mother Happy Mother's Day to all mothers. Okay, so just a quick announcement. Men's Prayer Breakfast this coming Saturday at 8.30 a.m. Yes, cool. <laughs> And latest spring brunch, May 27 at 11.30 a.m. And please pray for Vacation Bible School, June 5th to 9th, okay? And shall we commit this in prayer, shall we? Lord, we thank you for all the mothers, for their love, kindness, and sacrifices. Thank you for guiding and sustaining them, Lord, as they fulfill their calling in life. We pray that you will give them peace in times of worry strength in times of weakness, joy in times of sadness, and hope in times of hopelessness, Lord. And Father, as we come before you, as we worship you, Lord, we ask that you will prepare our hearts. Remove, Lord, all the iniquities in our hearts, Lord, as your word says that you will not hear us if we have sin in our hearts. And we pray, Lord, we recognize that you are a holy God, the God who hates sin, and the God who loves us so much. Bless us, Lord, and we ask for your blessing as we worship you today. In Christ's precious name, amen. I think Debbie has an announcement as well. Come on up. I just want to remind you, ladies, that next Sunday is the last day you can sign up for the ladies' brunch. If you think you may or may not come, sign up anyway, because it's better we make a little extra than not have enough. And next Sunday is the absolute cutoff day. All right? Thanks. Thank you, Debbie. Thanks. All right, today's scripture is going to be Psalm 4. Answer me when I call, God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. 
You sons of man, how long will my honor be treated as an insult? How long will you love what is worthless and strive for a lie? Selah. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly person for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and trust in the Lord. Many are saying, who will show us anything good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, Lord. You have put joy in my heart more than when their grain and new wine are abundant. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, have me dwell in safety. Let's continue singing. your throne, come walk the garden of my heart, and smell the fragrance of a soul in bloom, hear the sound of joyful praise, as I worship you alone, like a gentle flowing stream, like the flowers in the meadow, like the mountains in the spring. Like a peaceful garden shade, I want to make my heart a place where you love to come and linger in the presence of my love. As I look upon your face, Lord, let it be sweet. Oh, let it be sweet to you while I'm sitting at your feet. While I'm kneeling on your throne, come walk the garden of my heart and smell the fragrance of a soul in bloom. Hear the sound of joyful praise as I worship you alone. Like a gentle flowing stream, like the flowers in the meadow, like the mountains in the spring. Like a peaceful garden shade, I want to make my heart a place where you love to come and linger in the presence of my love as I looked upon your face. Please sing with us, give us clean hands. Yeah. 
plays an important role in the Bible. It binds the beginning and the end. These stories offer us a glimpse into the heart of God, and so we start at the beginning. Taken from the side of Adam, gifted with bringing forth life, the first woman was named Eve because she was the mother of all living. But she was also a mother in her own right, the first of many mothers to come. Though Sarah's womb was closed, God promised nations and kings would come from her. Ten years pass, and motherhood seems as impossible as the day it was promised. But the Lord is faithful to keep his promises, and Sarah bore a son who made her laugh. Leah was the firstborn, overlooked by her husband Jacob, who gave his heart to her younger sister. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, He opened her womb. Despite Jacob's disdain, she found her motherhood in the Lord. When Pharaoh became angry at the fruitfulness of the Hebrews, Jochebed sacrificed her motherhood for the sake of her son. When Pharaoh's daughter saw the child, she had compassion on him. Because of Jochebed's sacrificial motherhood, the Israelites found freedom. 
Naomi was a mother who experienced the loss of her sons, yet she gained a daughter in Ruth who declared, for where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people, your God, my God. Naomi and Ruth became family by faith. Mary, a virgin and not yet married, was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. The motherhood of this blessed woman was more than the continuation of a family name, but a means for God to bring a savior into the world to save his people from their sins. From the garden to the cross, there have always been mothers. These women paved the way for all women, representing the full spectrum of the ways one could be called mom. Whether a mother in faith, mentorship, adoption, or by birth, you play an important role in the stories of generations to come. To all the Sarahs, Leahs, Jochebeds, and Naomis, Happy Mother's Day. Good morning, Tucson Mountain. To all your moms, happy Mother's Day. You know, without moms, none of us would be here. That's one of those well-duh moments. <clears throat> hey, listen, you saw all the connections between Arizona Baptist Children's Services and all those other organizations that Arizona Baptist Children's Services connects with and helps support. And we help support Arizona Baptist Children's Services. And we would encourage you to, if there's not a separate offering envelope in your bulletin, to just write, we encourage you this month to contribute to that because they do need additional funds all the time because of all those other agencies they're trying to support. So I want to bring you guys to something this morning, and it's called the Miracle of Mercy. And it's interesting to me because... 
You know, the miracle of mercy is shown by our moms probably more than anybody else. And we often don't believe that. And while this message is about God's word, it's also about moms this morning. And we need to think about this. The sad fact is sometimes the hardest place for us to show mercy is in our home. It's in those we love and they, that we live with, you know. <clears throat> We're often harder on our spouse or our children or our parents, our brothers and sisters than we are on a stranger. You know, you can be in the middle of a heated argument and you can be, it can be a verbal knockdown drag out and you can be carrying on with each other and all of a sudden the phone rings and you go, oh, hi, how are you? <laughs> and it's like, what, what just happened there? You can't be kind, courteous, and merciful to the person that's in your home, but you can do that to a stranger when they call. There's a, there, there's a problem there, right? We need to think about that. We can say and do some of the most ungracious things to those we should show the most love and mercy to. And we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. Maybe you can identify right out of the gate with the first scripture that we have. With David, when he said in Psalm 101, from the New Living Translation. I will be careful to, to live a blameless life. And then he calls out and cries out to God, when will you come to help me? I will lead a life of integrity in my own home. Listen, the miracle of mercy is actually the miracle of love and action. And we're going to talk about that. But before we do that, I, I need you to take a little quiz with me. Now, I hope you brought your writing sticks, your pens and your pencils. If not, just choose which one you want. Excuse me. But I want you to stay on task here. And there's no cheating. All right. I want you to be honest. So here's the question. When my spouse or sibling or another family member gets some detail wrong while telling a story, do I A, interrupt them and correct them publicly? Or B, say nothing and let it go, knowing I've done the same. Now, like I said, no cheating. God is watching. The truth is, we're probably doing more interrupting than we are being quiet. Here's a second question. When my spouse, sibling, or another family member keeps making the same mistake over and over again, do I A, become irritated, frustrated, and angry at them, or B, I graciously forgive them and pray for them? Is the humility rising a little bit in here now? Okay. Question three. When my spouse or sibling or another family member is getting more attention than I think they deserve, do I A, feel resentful and have the need to bring them down a notch or two? Or do I celebrate with them, <clears throat> which is the merciful thing to do? Some of you are probably sitting there and you're lying right now. <laughs> the fourth question, how merciful really are you with your family? When my spouse or siblings or another family member says or does something that I don't understand, I see what they did, but I just don't know why they did it. A, do I assume that they have the best motivation for doing it? Or B, question their motivation and think the worst of them because I think I know what they're doing it for or why they're doing it. Listen, most of the time we don't even understand or know our own motivations. How can we know someone else's? Last question, am I more polite and courteous to strangers or am I more polite and courteous with my own family? Maybe you're ready for the sermon now. 
Maybe we need to do a little work on this thing called mercy in our lives. And I hope that this will help a little bit. Listen, mercy is love and action. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's a choice. And it's a decision. But it's also displayed in our behavior. Now, I'm probably going to step on some toes with this one. And, and moms, you're excluded from this this morning. All right. But in 1 Corinthians 15, or I'm sorry, 13, 4 through 8, there is 15 characteristics of real love. And we're going to cover those and talk about those. And we're going to cover them in general to start with, and then we're going to go back and hit some specific ones. Listen, real love, we understand, is different than fake love. It's the same thing with mercy. Real mercy is completely different than fake mercy. And most people can tell it when it comes out. There are marks of mercy that we're going to look at here. Unless you're doing these things according to the Bible, you're really not loving someone and you're really not showing them mercy. Think about what this says in, 15, in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Love is patient. So does that mean anytime I'm being impatient, I'm being unloving? According to scripture, it is. Love is kind. Anytime I'm unkind and I'm being unloving. Love does not envy. In other words, you don't want someone what someone else has. Love is not boastful or proud. When I'm prideful, I'm not very full of love. Love is not rude. Anytime I'm rude, once again, I'm not being very loving or very merciful. Love is not self-seeking. It's not me first. It's the other person. Do you ever think about the love songs you hear on the radio sometime? They're not really love songs. They're lust songs. Think about this for a second. Love is all about giving. Lust is all about getting. And here's the thing. You know, love can always wait to be able to give. Lust can never wait to be able to get. That's part of the problem. Think about the words, some of those songs. You make me feel brand new. Are some ladies, you make me feel like a natural woman, right? Okay, here's the deal. It's all about me. It all goes back to how you make me feel. But there's a problem. Love and mercy, just like one another, are not that self-centered. Mercy is about the other person. Mercy is focusing other person's needs, wants, and desires. But we often miss that. When I say I love you because of the way you make me feel, that's not true love because that's self-centered love. The issue here is true love is I love you not because of what you do for me or because of what you are. It's because I love you just for who you are. I love you because I love you. I have mercy for you because I have mercy for you. True love is not I love you because of things, it's because I love you, period. So love is not irritable, the rest of the verse, or easily angered. Love keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, and love rejoices with the truth. Listen, you, if you truly love somebody and you want to show mercy to somebody, you don't try to manipulate them or maneuver them to do what you want them to do. Real love always trusts. It always hopeful. It's always perseveres. 
Love never gives up and love never fails. It's the same with mercy and it never ends. Those 15 characteristics. You know, I was sort of tempted to do a 15 point characteristic outline of all these things. And I lovingly asked my wife because it was Mother's Day. I said, honey, what do you think the ladies would like this morning for Mother's Day? What do you think they'd like to hear? She said something short. <laughs> because they're all going to lunch. <laughs> Gentlemen, that's your cue. <laughs> Kathy's a pretty wise woman. She keeps me out of trouble a lot. So we're only going to look at four points and they're going to be quick. Pretty smart woman. The first way we can show mercy in our homes and in our families is to overlook irritations and offenses. Overlook irritation and offenses. Listen, moms do that all the time with us. They did it when we were growing up. They did it now that we're adults. And if your mom's already went home to be with heaven, bless her heart. You know what? She did it with you until the day she went home. Ignoring and not paying attention to some of those irritations and, and, and offenses that we've made against moms or others is something that we need to think about. You're going to have irritations in life. Listen, if, if the irritations in life bother you that much that it just perturbs you and frustrates you and stirs you up, you need to learn how to overlook those offenses and irritations. Or otherwise, you're going to be an unhappy person all your life. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, love, real love, is not irritable or easily angered. Real mercy does not anger easily either. And we need to remember that. Anger is by far the most misunderstood of all the emotions, I think. The mismanaged of all the human emotions. Think about these things for a moment. Sometimes anger is the appropriate response. Do you realize why you have anger? You have anger because you were made in God's image and God got angry at things from time to time. Did he not? We need to remember that. God sees people getting hurt and he gets angry about it. He gets frustrated by it. There's a good kind of anger and there's a bad kind of anger. There's a righteous anger and there's an unrighteous anger. There's a selfish anger and there's an unselfish anger. And we have to remember those things. The selfish kind of anger is the one where we get our pride hurt and we want to strike out. And we don't control that anger. It's not the anger itself that's wrong. It's, it's how long you hold on to it and what you do with it. If you hang on to it too long, it turns into bitterness and that turns into resentment. And it's always a sin at that point. We have to remember when you see racial profiling or prejudices, those things tend to make us angry as Christians. When we see injustice and unfairness in the world, those things seem to have anger us and frustrate us. When we hear about a woman being raped or a child being abused, that angers us. When we hear about our sisters and brothers in foreign countries being beheaded because of their belief in Christ, that angers us. And that's a righteous type of anger. But when we get our pride hurt or when we get our feelings hurt and we start to be resentful and bitter and we hold on to it and we splash out, that's sin. So anger in and of itself is not necessarily the problem. It's what we do with it and how we respond to it. 
Listen, if you hurt my wife, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, I'm going to be angry. But there's a way to deal with that. Anger is a God-given capacity. He gave it to us for a reason. Every great leader in history did one thing with that anger. They learned to control it. Those that didn't learn how to control it were fell because of it. That's the issue. The problem is a lot of you think you don't really get angry because you do the opposite. You stuff it down and you sit on it. But that's as, as inappropriate as it is expressing it incorrectly. Now, I want you to think about this. There's two wrong ways to respond to anger. The first one is to blow up like Mount Vesuvius. The second one is to clam up and stuff it down. Neither of those are correct. So here's, here's my thought on this. You're either a skunk or a turtle. <laughs> you know when a skunk gets angry and he's upset? He stinks up the whole place, right? <laughs> and everybody knows it. But a turtle, what do they do? The turtle pulls under their shell and they isolate and insulate and they're stuffing it down. And I'll tell you something. In the years that I did a lot of marriage counseling, I learned that a lot of skunks marry a lot of turtles. <laughs> There's a problem with that. If you're in a marriage and one of you typically blows up and the other one usually clams up, neither answer is right. Neither one of you are righteous. And neither one of you were more sinful than the other. So cut each other some slack. They're both inappropriate ways of dealing with anger. Mercy like love is not irritable. It's not easily angered. The Bible is very specific about the cost of uncontrolled anger. It says it's causing problems. It causes mistakes. Uncontrolled anger causes us to do foolish things. We don't want to do that. So what's the antidote to that anger if we don't let go of it? Either in your marriage or in family relationships or careers or workplaces, whatever, even in church. Proverbs 17, 9 in New Living Translation says, Love prospers when a fault is forgiven. On Wednesday nights, we've been doing a study on forgiveness. And, and we're working through some of these uh, side emotions that come along with forgiveness. The second part of that verse says, but dwelling on it separates close friends. So what's this saying? It's going back to the very first thing we said. Let go of those offenses and that anger and overlook those transgressions. Actually, Proverbs 19, 11 in the New King James says this, the discretion of a man makes him slow to anger and his glory is to overlook a transgression. You need to circle, highlight, or underline that word transgression. It also means offense. We have to learn to overlook those offenses in other people because we make the same mistakes. If anybody in here thinks they're perfect, I hate to tell you, you're not. None of us are. We all have our idiosyncrasies and our problems. People who are easily offended by things typically are not very mature. And like I said, I'm probably going to step on some toes. So I want you to think about this. They're usually fairly immature. Why? Because people who don't get offended, who let things slide, live typically a happier life. They're easier going. 
And they also don't have as much stress and anxiety in their life. And people that do that typically are much more spiritually mature than those who do not let go of those things. It's a mark. Overlooking offenses is a, is a mark of emotional maturity. If you're always getting your feelings hurt, you need to grow up. I don't know. There's not a nice way to say that. I can't candy coat that one. Maybe your feelings really were hurt. Maybe what you said really was hurtful. But you know what? I'm sure you've said some things that are hurtful. And we need to remember that. When that happens, you need to ask yourself three questions. One, why am I angry? You really need to know why you're angry. Is it a righteous anger or is it an unrighteous anger? The second question you have to ask yourself, what do I really want to get out of this? conversation. What do I really want to get out of this event? And then the third thing is, how can I get it? Now, I know that sounds selfish for a moment, but let me explain. If you get angry and you blow up or you become the turtle and you stick your head in the shell, one of two things are going to happen, but neither one of them are going to get you any further down the road to what you really want. And neither one of them are going to help you explain why you got to that place. You need to first figure out the why and the what, and then you can get to the how. So that's what you need to be doing in our mind, in our hearts, as we look at these things. Why am I angry? What do I really want to get out of this situation? And how do I get it? Now, you're never going to get what you want in life, in your marriage, in your career, in any way, if you're going through life angry at everything and everybody. You have to learn to let go of those offenses. Mercy, like love, is not easily angered. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 in the message says this. Be careful that when you get on each other's nerves. Now, look, I, I want you to stick with me for just a second here. It says, be careful when you get on each other's nerves. It's not, it, says, it doesn't say if. <laughs> so it means that it's going to happen from time to time. So when it does, what does it say to do? Don't snap at each other. Look for the best in each other and always do your best to bring it out. Can you imagine what would happen in, just in a church if we would all take that verse and do that with one another for one year? There's a challenge for you. Take that verse, do that for one year, and see if we're not much more easy with one another, much more uh, reliable with one another, much more understanding with each other. Practice it just for one year. We'd have a whole lot better relationships, much better marriages, and much easier lifestyles. Look for the best in each other and always do your best to bring it out. Listen, God doesn't rush us into things. He moves us through the process of growing at our natural rate. And we have to remember it's the same way with every single one of us. We can't be pushed or rushed into a growth cycle. But we are to continue growing closer to him. And because we're growing closer to him, he blesses that effort each and every day. Mercy itself is hard. It's not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. It's not for the weak. Listen, if Kathy and I get into it at home and I start yelling, uh, if I want the yelling to stop, I got to stop first. Right? My relationship with my wife 
or a wife's relationship with her husband is much more important than proving them wrong, proving me correct. You know, it's much more important than my opinion. The relationships are always more important than what we think is right or wrong. But that's not always easy. But God's word gives us a promise. Look at Philippians 4.13. I can do all things, even showing mercy, through him who gives me strength. We need to remember that. God is a God of mercy and redemption. If he hadn't redeemed us and showed mercy to us, we wouldn't be here. It's just like the situation with moms. We need to humbly accept God's mercy and we need to be able to humbly give that mercy to others. When you do that, you're going to experience that miracle of mercy. The second thing we need to remember is being kind when they don't deserve it, but desperately need it. Now, listen, this is a tough one. Moms do that every day of our lives. They're kind to us. They're considerate to us. And it's, listen, every family has what I call VDPs. VDPs. Now, I'm not just talking about moms or dads or kids. I'm talking about uncles and aunts and brothers and sisters and extended family. VDPs are people that are very draining people. Or they are very difficult people to live with. Every family has those. Now, here's, here's the rhetoric on this. They're typically irresponsible, immature, demanding, pushy, self-centered, and usually want everything their way. They're often rude, destructive, and abusive in relationships, and typically manipulative and very disappointing. They'll tell you they're going to do something, but they don't do it. They say they're going to show up somewhere, and they don't show up. Very disappointing. Sometimes they're disloyal. But they're always very difficult people and very draining. How do you deal with those kind of people? 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 7 says, love is patient, love is kind, love is always supportive. It doesn't say just when you want to be. That's the problem. You're to always be patient and kind to those kind of people, whether they deserve it or not. Let's think about this for a second. Maybe you're sitting there and you say, well, I, I want to be kinder to those kind of people in my family or those kind of people in my life, but how do I do it? Because they're wearing me out. They're wearing me down. What did we just say from Proverbs 19 in another translation? It says this, Proverbs 19 in NIV says, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. It's to our glory to overlook an offense. So God is telling us, listen, you're going to get glory when you do that. You may not get it from a person, but you're going to get it from me. That's the key. You want to be patient and wise. You want to learn what tries to make them tick. It's always strange and a struggle. Do you realize that most of the time when someone reaches out and they hurt you verbally or even physically, perhaps, the thing that takes place is they are stuck in their past with their hangups and their fears and their doubts and their hurts. The old analogy, hurt people, hurt people, that's very, very true, unfortunately. 95% of the time, someone is hurting you, especially in a verbal sense, or saying rude, crude, crass, and obnoxious things, 
is lashing out at you because they're hurting some way, somehow, somewhere. You have to look past the anger that comes with that. You have to look past their fear. You have to look past their pain. And you have to try to understand what makes them the way they are. You know, it's interesting. Most of the time when we look at people and, and we know how they were when, we look at them and say, man, they've got so much further to go. But why don't we stop and say, look at how far they've come. Look at how much further down the road they were than when I first met them and I first know them. Sometimes we might be able to say, you know, if, if I only knew what they had to put up with, with their parents or their family or their spouses, or maybe I'd be a little more tenderhearted. Maybe I'd be able to show a little more mercy. Maybe I'd be just as insecure as they are if I had to deal with all that. You know, it, it's interesting because you're way more patient with a toddler than you are with an adult because you understand that they don't understand. And in some cases, the same way with dealing with other adults. Proverbs 3.27 in the New Century Version says, whenever you are able, do good for people who need help. It does not say do good for people who deserve help. It doesn't say that. You know, what they need and what they deserve may be two different things. Isn't that what God does for us? Doesn't he give us what we need, not what we deserve? Doesn't he give us grace and love and mercy each and every day? Shouldn't we be able to pass that same along to those in our life? God doesn't give us what we deserve. God gives us what we need, and that's why it's called mercy. When you're being merciful and giving kindness and mercy, you know, people that do the mean things to you, they may be lashing out because of their hurt and their pain, and they may not really deserve it, but they need that kindness and that mercy shown to them. Think about the story of the Good Samaritan. Let's say we got a modern day Good Samaritan. He's driving down the road. He sees somebody out here on the side of the road out here on Ajo, and, and they're hurt and they're bleeding and they're stumbling along, and they decide to stop and help. They don't walk up to him and say, uh, excuse me, I have a question. Do you deserve my help? I don't think so. If you're going to take the time, energy, and effort to stop, you're going to render aid, and you're going to help that person, and you're going to give them what they need, not necessarily what they deserve. You don't ask them, oh, hey, by the fault, you're all beat up. Is this your fault or somebody else's? <laughs> you know, we, we have to put things in the right perspective sometimes. There's a lot of people that don't deserve our help, but they need our help, and they need that touch of mercy in their lives. Mercy is kindness, and kindness is an act of worship according to God. We need to remember that. When you're kind, God says, that's like worshiping me. Proverbs 22, 19, 22 in the Living Bible says, kindness makes a man attractive. Guys, think about that for a second. You can be so much more attractive if you're just kind. Ladies, you can forget all the makeup and Botox. Because just being kind is going to make you more attractive. <laughs> Kindness makes other people want to be kind to you. Mercy makes other people want to be merciful to you. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 in the NIV says, Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, 
but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Always strive. Mercy defined as undeserved forgiveness and unearned kindness. We don't, we don't, they don't have to earn it. We just need to give it. Listen, I said earlier on, it's a choice to be kind and to show mercy, even to the people who are not kind to you. There's no way I can sugarcoat this or candy coat this, but mercy can be difficult and inconvenient and frustrating. But it's something we need to do. If we're going to call ourselves Christians and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to wear that moniker, we need to do it in a way that God does it to us. And ladies, you can just relax for a minute because I want to talk to the guys. I know it's Mother's Day, but I need to talk to the guys. That's fine. Husbands, you know what you can give your moms if they're still here with us and your wives and your children? The best thing we as men can give our families is get in good health. I just read a survey that said 97% of middle-aged men with families are not taking care of their health. That floored me. And I read another part of that study, that same reading, that said men are dying prematurely because they're not taking care of their health. You know, the best gift you can give your family is sticking around a while. And that means we should all get healthier. And we should all take care of our health and make sure that we know what's going on with our health and not ignoring all those things in our life that are really detrimental to our overall health. So we need to think about that. Husbands, dads, man up. All right? Let's get healthy for the women in our lives and our children in our lives that we love and love us back. That's the greatest gift we can give them on Mother's Day. If you want to do the unselfish thing and the, and the merciful thing, Show them that you love them by getting healthy. All right. Number three. The other thing we need to do, and moms do it all the time with us. They always forgive and forget. But by letting go of those past hurts, letting go of those past hurts. Now, what does that mean? Again, Corinthians 13, 5 says love, real love keeps no records of wrongs. Now, listen, do you keep a mental record of rights or wrongs? that your spouse or your family members do or that your kids do or your parents have done to you so that later on you keep those mental records so that when somebody comes along and says, well, you did this, you can say, oh yeah, but you know, you did this and this and this and that. Scripture says, don't do that. It says that's not healthy. Mercy like love keeps no records of wrongs. It says you let them go. It's like the old joke where you heard the guy come along and says, oh boy, I went home last night and my, I got an earful for my wife. Yeah, really? Yeah, she got historical. No, 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 she got hysterical. Oh no, she got historical. She told me every mistake I ever made. <laughs> Let go of those past hurts. Let go of that past anger. Love keeps no records of wrong. Mercy doesn't either. You realize when you hold on to that past hurt that it's really not being merciful or loving to the other person. And it's not doing you any good for your health. 
Come on Wednesday nights and hear more about that. Simple lesson. Don't repeat it, delete it. We all know how to do that on our phones and our computers, so get with it. It means you don't have to rehearse it over and over in your mind. You don't cling to it. You don't hold on to it. You let it go. And it's much healthier. You shouldn't take those things, those past hurts, and hold on to them as a relational weapon for a battle later. Let it go. 1 Corinthians 13, 5 and in New Living Translation says, Love is not rude. Love does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wrong. Do you realize that sometimes rude people are simply acting out of those past hurts? When they act out of those past hurts, it's very difficult for them to, to, to be present where they are, to think about the future, or, or, or react in any other way, or act in any other way other than what they're holding on to in the past. It's very, very difficult. They're allowing those past hurts to continue to hold them hostage. When you hold on to those past hurts, just like not forgiving someone, it's holding you hostage. The other person may not have a clue. So what's the antidote? We need to remember the antidote is forgive and let go of those past offenses. Number four, and then we'll be done. By believing God is working in the lives of others. Listen, we have to believe God is working in the life of others, even if we can't physically see it manifested in front of our own eyes. Because God says he's going to work in the life of every single believer. Now, if they're not a believer, then, then guess who God has put in front of you to talk to? Oh, that got quiet. You trust God, you believe in him, and you believe he's able to do it. That's the only way we can move forward. Faith and mercy and love and grace all go together. 1 Corinthians 13, 7, NIV says, love always trust. You know what you're trusting in? When you trust in love, you're trusting in God because God is love. So you're trusting in God. Love always hopes. It's not hopeless. Love is filled with hope. Mercy is filled with hope. And love always perseveres. Mercy will always persevere. Do you know how, do you know how you realize and know without a shadow of a doubt, you're trusting in God to work in other people's lives? Here's the key component. Are you praying for them? Are you praying for them? Are you praying for your spouse? Are you praying for your husband, your wife, your kids, your parents, your grandparents, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren? See, if you're not taking the time to pray for him, that means you're really not showing him the love and mercy that God's word says we need to be showing. And somehow we're missing the boat. Knowing that we have and are showing the appropriate love and mercy for others often shows up and is a reflection in our prayers. Look at Psalm 28, 2 with me in the NIV. Hear my cry for mercy as I call to you for help. As I lift up my hands toward your most holy place. He's reaching out to God. He's calling out to God. And he says, the psalmist is saying, you know, Lord, I need you. And I need to be a reflection of you in society today. There is so much hate and so much animosity and hard feelings and ill will out there. We don't need that in God's house. 
We don't need it in our Christian homes. Your Christian homes and this place should be a sanctuary for all to come into. Hebrews 4.16 NIV says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We want that same mercy and grace and love that God shows in our lives, but we want to be a reflection of that in other people's lives, to other people. And James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be forgiven. It will be given to you. Sometimes we treat prayer, and I said this Wednesday night, Sometimes we pre treat prayer as the very last resort. We treat prayer like, well, you know, we've done everything else. I guess we better get down on knees and pray. But the problem is that should be the first thing. When there's a crisis or when there's, when there's a, even common everyday things, when there's a great burden on our heart, that should be the first thing we do, not the last. Because God gives us the opportunity to pray to him. And he gives us the opportunity to reach out to him in so many different ways. All we've got to do is ask. Scripture says we have not because we ask not. Listen, prayer is the best thing we can do in a crisis. It's the best thing we can do in a tragic loss of someone or something. And it's the best thing we can do in our day-to-day -day walk. We need to pray. If you're not praying for your kids, your spouse, your moms, your dads, your grandparents, all those relatives that we talked about, you need to start. Do you remember when Jeremiah's life was falling apart? Everything in Jeremiah's life was going wrong. And he prayed to God. Listen to what he says in Lamentations 3.20 and 23 in the New Living Translations. I will never forget this awful time. He was going through an awful time. His life was coming undone. But he says this, as I grieve over my loss, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of God never ends. His mercies never cease. Great in his faithfulness, his mercies begin afresh each morning. Every single day, God gives us new love and new mercy. Don't you think we ought to at least be able to reflect that to those in our life and give them the same opportunity that God gives us? even if they don't deserve it, even if they don't understand it. That's our source of hope. We ought to be able to extend that source of hope to others. Those things that God expects us to do with this. Think about this. For your family, for your church family, God does those things for us every single day. God overlooks and forgives our mistakes and our sins and our offenses, and all those things that are very offensive to him all the time. He forgives them because of his mercy. God is kind to us when we need it, and even when we don't deserve it. God wipes the slate clean, and he forgets those things. He puts those transgressions and those offenses behind him. As far as, as the east is from the west, he separates them. And God is working in our lives and he's working in the lives of others, even though we may not be able to manifest it and let others see it. And they might not be able to manifest it so that we can see it, but he's working in all of our lives.
and we need to remember that. On this Mother's Day, I want you to remember, moms have done that for us throughout the years, and they continue to love us and have mercy on us because we are their child. And God does that because we are his children. Let's pray. Ah, Father, we all need your mercy. We need your love. We pray, Lord, that we would be merciful to others. As we think about mercy on this Mother's Day and the miracle of mercy in and of itself, I pray that you'd help us understand what that really means, that we'd be able to to look past those offenses because you have forgiven us of all our offenses, that you continue being kind to us because we need that kindness, whether we deserve it or not. And you separate those sins as far as the East is from the West. And there's no connecting point with the East is from the West. Father, we accept your grace and your mercy today, and we accept your love. And Lord, if there's anyone here today that does not know you and has not made that personal decision to accept you as Savior and Lord, I pray that you've touched their hearts with something that was said, something that was sung, the music, the message, something that would move them into their life to draw them closer to you. Father, if they made that decision, but maybe they've just never been part of a church family, and they're drawn to this church family. They believe that this is where they can call their church home. We'd like to encourage them to do that today. And Father, maybe there's those that need baptism. They've, they've made that decision to accept you, but they've never been baptized the way you were baptized through submersion, complete submersion, head to toe. Father, we offer that opportunity to have that done also. Father, whatever the need is in this body of believers this morning, in individuals' hearts and minds, we pray that you would move those individuals and draw them closer to you today. And if they need to let us know those things and, and just step forward and come to the front, share those things with me, and we'll make sure that those things are carried out so that they understand them and we know where they are at in their walk with you, their salvation, and their understanding of what it means to be your child. Father, we love you and we praise you, and we thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. If you can and would, stand, please.
If you would be seated for just a second. Um, we handed out a survey several weeks back, uh, probably about a month and a half back. I wanted to get this information back to you earlier, but uh, every time we tried to print this, we had problems. There are copies of this in the back on our survey questions and the responses. And there's a couple of pie charts and there's one on the back. And it talks about our Sunday school survey. And basically all it says is that, I'm just going to give you a brief synopsis. Um, there's 27.6% of individuals that would like to see Sunday school before service. Okay. And 65.5% that want to keep it just a service after service. So we'll be looking into that, but right now we're not probably going to change that. Okay. But we are looking at an alternative to that. Primarily, part of the logistics that we're having with that is being able to have the praise and worship team practice and still carry on a Sunday school before church. That would require we have to move the service time. And that's something that a lot of people did not want to do. Um, so we're sort of in a holding pattern on that. But um, there was 13.8% of the men that would like a separate men's class. 20.7% of the women wanted a separate women's class, which we do have. And 65.5% wanted a co-ed class, a men and women's class. So we'll, we will be looking and listening to see if we can enlist another men's Bible study teacher. Okay. And, and we're looking for another Bible study teacher uh, when John leaves, because John is the co-ed Bible study teacher. So we, we're actually looking for two teachers. And if, if you're interested in that, you need to come and see me and sit down and talk to me. And let's talk about that a little bit. Okay. But these are in the back. And if you'd like more information on any of this, you just need to let me know. So we are going to integrate a separate men's class. But right now, as far as going into uh, a before service class, we're not quite ready to do that yet. I don't think. Um, primarily because of logistics and some other things. We'll have to get with the deacons and trustees and talk more about that in greater detail, okay? But there are some copies of that on the table if you'd like to see those results, and I do apologize for the delay. All right, thank you guys so much. Love the music today. Great. Paul, loved your, love your uh, solo. That was awesome. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. All right, if you're able, please stand, and let's sing Praise the Name of Jesus. the name of Jesus. 